Alrighty, I invite you to grab a Bible and turn to Galatians uh, chapter 2. Galatians kind of in the second half of your New Testament, a little small letter uh, that Paul has written. If you don't have a Bible, there's probably a black one in front of you in the little rack at the bottom. Past the scripture is in your bulletin as well as on the screen. And so if you're just joining us as a way of kind of reminding us where we're, what we're doing, where we've been, we're working through the book of Galatians uh, over the course of this fall. It's to take us all the way to the end of the year. And at the heart of what's going on in Galatians, all right, is a good reminder for us, is that, is that Paul is writing to the churches in Galatia because they have quickly forgotten the gospel. And so he's writing to the church in Galatia and reminding them of this kind of like what we might term this one-way love of God's, God, uh, God's love toward us, this one-way salvation, this one-way love of God that we are accepted, we are in his family, we are worthy, we are loved, not because of what we do, but because of what has been done in Jesus Christ and us trusting in that finished work. These false teachers have kind of um, made their way into these churches. We call them, you know, most commentators will call them Judaizers, uh, where they come in and the danger, like the, the, the subtle danger of this is that they're okay with Jesus. Like they're not trying to reject Jesus and what he has done. They're saying, yeah, trust in Jesus, believe in Jesus, but that's not all. If you really want to be a Christian, If you really want to be in the family of God, yes, trust Jesus and obey the law of Moses. Trust Jesus and be circumcised. So in essence, they're saying, yeah, go for Jesus. We're on board with that. But if you really want to be a Christian, a real genuine, authentic, real Christian, then you also have to become a Jew. And so Paul comes in and, man, he's he's pretty fired up. He's, uh, yeah, he's, you can feel this in the language that he uses. He's very emotional. And he's basically saying, look, if you ever add anything to the gospel of Jesus Christ, you lose Jesus and you lose your freedom. It's not Jesus and fill in the blank. Stop whatever or start whatever. Right? When I was growing up, it was, you know, Jesus and and don't have long hair. Amen? Right? Jesus and don't you dare wear an earring. Right? Jesus, and don't you have any playing cards in your house, right? That's of the devil, and you're inviting the demons to come in your house. you got to burn those bad boys like my mom did with my playing card deck, which I'm still bitter to this day about it, right? So, so like, I'm just trying to, you know, translate for us, right? Sometimes it gets lost in translation because a lot of us come here and go, duh, you don't have to be a Jew to be a Christian. You don't have to get circumcised to be a Christian. You don't have to obey the law of Moses to be a But we add to the gospel in subtle ways, Right? Sometimes we don't even realize we're doing it. And Paul is holding tight to what we might call a gospel of grace, which would be defined like this. Through no merit, no works of mine, but his mercy, we have been restored to a right relationship with God through the life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus. This is the good news, and this is the gospel of grace. That's what Paul is tight-fisted about, and that's what we as a church are tight-fisted about. So much so to where I might make you feel uncomfortable when we talk about the grace of God. Because it's that free. And if you're feeling a little uncomfortable as we unpack this book of Galatians, then maybe we're getting close to really understanding how free the gospel is. It is Jesus, period. Not Jesus and, not Jesus plus. I am in a right relationship with God I'm in fellowship with him. I'm in his family by me trusting in Jesus, period. That's what Paul is fighting for. So what I want to do this morning, because the text is there, 
I want to talk, and we'll come back to this later on a little bit more, all right? So I want to talk a little bit about this morning. There is a way in which we are to live that's in line with the gospel. So the gospel is not just a get-out-of-hell-free card, right? That's not the gospel. Nor is the gospel, you know, Jesus plus. But there is a way in which the gospel lines us up that we are to live. There's a way that we're to live and step with the gospel. So the, the gospel creates this new person inside of me, and it begins to show me that there's a better way to live. And so Paul is going to kind of like unpack briefly out of one little confrontation one of the ways that we are to live in line with the gospel. It's not the gospel. We're not adding to it. But the gospel does produce a way of living. I want to talk briefly about that this morning, all right? So if you're able to stand, I encourage you to stand with me in honor of reading God's word. So Galatians 2, reading verses 11 through 14. But when Cephas, this is Paul's nickname for Peter, it means rock, that's why he's using it. So, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I, referring to himself, Paul, he's the writer of this letter, opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For he regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came from James. However, when they came... He withdrew and separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party. And then the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas in front of everyone, because this is a sin that's being done in public, if you who are a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. So Father, we come to you this morning with, our, with the posture of our hearts kind of open, Lord. We want to be a people that receive your word this morning, whether it's a convicting word, an encouraging word, a healing word. God, we want to be a people that have open hands, open hearts to receive that this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So here's what I want to do this morning. Just, just want to answer three questions. It's kind of how we're um, kind of going after this passage of Scripture. First question I want to answer is kind of how did we get here? Or another way you can put that is like what's the backstory that kind of gets us into this massive confrontation that's coming you know, between two uh, big figures in the early church, right? This is like the two big people, Peter and Paul. That's like huge. All right, so how, how did we get here? Like, what happened here? Second question I want to answer is, what did Paul do wrong? I mean, Peter, not Paul. I keep mixing those up this morning, so bear with me. What did Peter do wrong? What is it that Peter is doing that's wrong that caused Paul to confront him to his face, right? This big, massive confrontation. And then the last question, uh, and I promise we'll work through these pretty quickly. Um, I want to talk about how do we do the same? So that's kind of my application. How do we do the same? And I and I'm, might make you a little uncomfortable because I want to just talk about how I've tried to apply this to my own life and encouraging us to do the same. All right? Here we go. First question. How do we get here? All right, so where, where do I get that is because if you look at verse 12, I don't think it's on your screen, but if you look at verse 12, for he, talking about Peter, regularly ate with the Gentiles. Like how in the world did Peter get to a place where he's now 
regularly eating with the Gentiles. So he's sharing table fellowship with the Gentiles, and he's also sharing their food. Like, how in the world did Peter get here? Because, and sometimes we don't realize this, but, but from day one, Peter has been taught that Gentiles are unclean. Like, that's what he's been taught. Like, they are dirty people. They call them dogs, which gets a little lost in our translation because we think dogs are amazing. We dress our dogs up. They eat from our table, all kinds of crazy stuff like that. Amen? So, um, yeah, okay. So a few of us follow along with me. But back in that day, dogs were nasty and dirty and filthy, all right? And so that's what they call Gentiles. So from day one, as a child, this is what's been drilled in to the heart and mind of Peter, Gentiles are unclean, I don't eat with them, and I don't eat what they eat. Now, a lot of this, and I don't have time to to dive into this, but a lot of this is rooted in the ceremonial laws in the Old Testament, which were originally there in order to separate the people of God from the other nations in order, here's the purpose, to be a light to the nations. But sin comes and distorts what is good and makes it all jacked up for crying out loud, right? And so what eventually happened, pride comes in to the Jewish people of God, and they think they're more superior than everyone else. They think they are better than everyone else. And so these these laws begin to give this separation that we are a better race and a better people, and so we're going to stay away from the wicked, nasty, unclean people like the Gentiles. Well, Jesus comes along, blows all this up, fulfills the law of God, and the gospel now is this. We're all unclean, Jew and Gentiles alike. We're all dogs, right? Aren't you glad you came to church, amen? All right, so look, we're all unclean. We're all dirty, and the only way that we can become clean is through Jesus. That's the good news. And this good news was difficult for a Jewish people to get. It took a while for this to even get in Peter's life. So if you go to Acts chapter 10, you'll read about a vision that Peter had. I call it kind of like um, uh, the pigs in a blanket dream. Amen? So that's kind of what you can see there. So in this vision, uh, what you have happening is that there's a sheet where a lot of unclean animals are being like, he's seeing it coming down here. And this is the, the voice that he hears in this vision. Get up, kill, and eat. Man, that's a redneck's mantra for life, amen, right? Get up, kill, and eat. And I can say that stuff because I grew up in Bullock County. So, but here's, here's what Paul, I mean, not Paul, Peter. Gosh, I keep getting them mixed up there. So when I'm supposed to say Peter and I say Paul, just make the translation for me. So uh, bear with me. But Peter says this, no way, God, I'm not going to eat something that's unclean. That's what he's been taught all his life. No, 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 I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to violate the law of God. And the voice comes back and says, what God has made clean, do not call impure. And this happened three times, right? Don't you love that? Peter took it three times, right? That's helpful for me, right? It takes me a while to get stuff, amen? Took him three times. And then men came after this vision went away uh, and basically said, Peter, there's a man named Cornelius. He's a Gentile. He's a God-fearing man. He needs to hear the gospel. He goes with them. We pick it up in Acts 10, verse 28, and it says this. Peter said to them, and this is what he's learned from since a child. You know it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate or visit with a foreigner. Like this is not supposed to be happening. But God has shown me that I must not call any person impure or unclean. That's referring back to the vision he had. And so Peter shares the gospel with Cornelius. 
Cornelius receives Christ, and then this is what happens. Skip down to verse 44 in Acts chapter 10, and we read this. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were what? They were amazed. Why? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on even the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in other tongues and declaring the greatness of God. And this changed everything for Peter. Why? How did this change everything? Because the Gentiles received the Holy Spirit the very same way that the Jews did. So if you're reading the book of Acts, we're supposed to make connections between Acts 2 and Acts 10. So in Acts 2, when Pentecost came, they believed in Jesus, and the Jews received the Holy Spirit. Acts 10, Peter proclaims the gospel to Cornelius, who's a Gentile. He believes in Jesus, and they also receive the Holy Spirit. It's the same. It's equal. And from this day on, Peter ate with Gentiles, and Peter ate what Gentiles ate. And we know that because of what we saw here in verse 12 of chapter 2. So it says, for he regularly ate with the Gentiles. Verse 14, if you who are a Jew, Peter, live like a Gentile. That's the massive change that happened in Peter's life. Because we all know this. Once you taste bacon, there's no going back. Amen? Amen? Once you taste baby back ribs, there's no going back. Once you taste some lobster macaroni and cheese, there's no going back. I mean, goodness gracious, no wonder, right? So Peter is all in. And something happens. What happened? What did Peter do wrong? Look what happened here in verse 11 of chapter 2. But when Cephas, once again meaning rock, it's kind of Paul's nickname for Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood Condemned. He was clearly in the wrong. That's what that word condemning means. Okay, okay, I hear that. So why was Peter clearly in the wrong? Verse 12. For he regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came from the James. However, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself. So what's the big deal here? A lot of this seems kind of harmless. He just, maybe just, you know, hey, I'm not going to eat breakfast with you today. You know what I'm saying? Like, maybe it's just a real subtle, like, what's going on? What's the big deal that he separated himself? Well, by his actions... Even though he's not saying this by his word, but by his action, he's now seeing the Gentiles as unclean, ritually impure, and implying then that these Gentiles need to become Jews in order to be a part of the people of God. He's not saying this, but by his actions of refusing to eat with them and eat what they're eating, he's implying that now they must become Jews in order to be the people of God. So why? Why? What is ha- wh- wh- how did this happen with Peter? Why did he do this? Well, we go on here in verse 12 and we see, why did he do it? Because he feared. He was afraid from those of the circumcision party. It was pressure. It wasn't because of conviction, right? It was because I want to please man. This gravitational pull that's in play in all of us in this room was at play in Peter's life. I want the approval and the acceptance of my peers. And so I changed. I waffled. I play act. I became a hypocrite. I contradict what I believe with my very actions. But notice, notice, Paul specifically defines 
what Peter does wrong in a way that maybe we would not say it. Look what he says here in verse 14. But when I saw that they were what? Deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas in front of everyone, if you are a Jew and live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? Notice what Paul does not say. He doesn't say, Peter, stop being a racist. Because that's what Peter's doing. He's, he's determining his fellowship based on race and culture, right? He's determining, well, I'm going to be a friend of yours based on race and culture. He's judging them. So he's, he's being a racist. Paul doesn't say also, hey, stop being a coward. That's what he's doing. Peter, get a backbone. Have some integrity. Get some convictions. That's not what Paul says. He doesn't say, stop being a hypocrite. I mean, he, he is doing that. He's being a hypocrite, but that's not what Paul says. Paul says, look, you are deviating from the truth of the gospel. Some translations, like the NIV says this, Peter was not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. The ESV translation says this, Peter's conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. So literally, this is what Paul is saying to Peter, Peter, you're not ortho-walking with the gospel. Now, what's ortho mean? It's a prefix. What's ortho mean? Say it out loud. Okay. Yeah, that was really good. All right? We're going to work on the back and forth stuff, right? So ortho means straight, right? You go to an orthodontist, why? To, to, okay, to get your teeth straight. I'm not looking for hard answers here, right? You don't go to an orthodontist to get your teeth crooked. Get them straight. That's the idea here. He is not walking in a straight, a line that's consistent with the gospel. And that tells us this, that the gospel is a truth. The gospel is a set of claims that it makes on your life. It's a set of claims that explains the world and what's wrong with the world and how the world can get fixed. It's a truth. It's a set of claims. And at the same time, the gospel truth has implications on our lives. As one writer says, the gospel sends out a line through your life. And what is happening in conjunction with the Holy Spirit, because we don't do this by our own power, is that we are now, as followers of Jesus Christ, bringing everything in our lives in line with that gospel. So Paul didn't say, hey, stop being a hypocrite. Paul doesn't say, hey, stop being a racist. Paul doesn't say, hey, stop being a coward. No, Peter, look, look what you're doing. God did not accept you based on your race and culture. You're not in the family of God because of your race and culture. You're not loved by God because of your race and culture, Peter. You're loved by God and accepted by God because of Jesus, and that's it. But now, you're treating other people in the way and the manner that God does not treat you. You're treating other people based on their race and culture. And Paul goes, look, buddy, look, buddy, that's not in line with the gospel. That's not in step with the gospel. Your rhythm of life has gone off track. So, and, I, and you know, honestly, yeah, sometimes I feel like 
I'm a little hesitant to say this because I deal with fear of man, amen, right? It's like I'm a little sympathetic with Peter here because uh, I'm like just out there sometimes and I want everybody to be happy and like, oh yeah, I'm excited. But here, here you go, man, look. So hear me. We are not deviating from the gospel being central at our church when we talk about racism, when we talk about social issues, when we talk about... Um, and give a voice to the poor and the minority and the marginalized and call out systems that have a way of keeping them down. We're, we're not moving away from the gospel. I would say, look, 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 look. I would say we're in line with it. Because there is a way of living. There's a behavior that is not in line with the gospel. And we're not getting away from the gospel when we call that out. Paul's not doing that here. He's not getting the gospel wrong. He's not keeping it, you know, non-central, whatever. No, he is seeing behavior that's not in line with the gospel, and he's calling it out. And that is keeping the gospel central. Look, sometimes, guys, look, and and I'm probably primarily talking to Christians here, so if you're not a Christian, you can take a two-minute nap or a one-minute nap or go get some more coffee, whatever you need. But here, sometimes when I hear from Christians that we've got to make sure we keep the gospel central or sometimes we are getting away from the gospel and not keeping it the main thing, I just want to just kind of push a little. Because usually it's because there's been some social issues or racism or something's been talked about from the stage that goes, oh, I don't think we should be talking about that. I just want to say, all right, maybe, maybe, maybe you're using that mantra as a means to hide And maybe the Holy Spirit is kind of pricking at your heart and showing you, just like Paul did to Peter, behavior that's not in line and step with the gospel. So, if that made you angry, just stuff it and listen to me the rest of the way, all right? And we can have a conversation. Or you can go talk to one of the other pastors and have that conversation. (laughs) So... um, Thank you for laughing. I'm, I'm, I'm joking. So you, I'd love to talk more about that. But here's the point that I'm trying to make. What did Peter do wrong? In essence, what he did wrong is he was forgetting the gospel. Like in some ways, Peter got it over here, but over here is missing it. In some ways, he got grace over here, but in over here, he was missing it. Peter was forgetting the gospel. That's what in essence he was doing wrong. So, last question, and I'll land the plane quickly here. How do we do the same? Right? So, I'm making an assumption here, right? So, if Peter can drift and have behaved that's not in line with the gospel, then guess what? So can I. And so can you. So, if you call yourself a Christ follower... Here's the assumption we're making, that every single one of us has behavior and actions and attitudes that are not in line with the gospel. It doesn't mean you're not saved. It doesn't mean that you're not loved. It doesn't mean that you're not in the family of God. But this is part of the work that the Spirit of God gives to us because there's a way of living that leads to freedom, flourishing, and life. And I want to live in that way. And so so there are assumptions that we make, not Will I drift? You are drifting. 
right? I'm drifting. There are areas in your life that are not in line with the gospel. And so look, we have the freedom to ask those difficult questions. Where are they? Where, where is it in my life that I'm not in line with my behavior with the gospel? Where is it? Ask God to do that. So the gospel frees you to have this honest kind of conversation, not only with yourself, but with God and with others. And so if you honestly say, okay, God, show me because I can't see it, then most likely God will send you a Paul. Amen? And maybe today I'm that Paul, right? That's here to show you possibly behavior, attitude, actions that are not in line with the gospel. A few weeks ago, and um, once again, I, I forgot to ask permission, so I'm asking for uh, forgiveness, amen? Um, so a few weeks ago, I had a conversation with a guy from our church, and he was just kind of coming and just asking questions about Christianity, asking questions that he's struggling with about Christianity, and it was a great conversation. Uh, I'm not sure if I really helped a whole lot. I tried to give him some resources that he can think and dialogue and and process together. But one of the questions that he asked me, and he kind of threw me for a loop, all right, because I wasn't prepared for this question, is he asked me, um, uh, what sin do you struggle with? Like, man, he got serious all of a sudden, right? <laughs> it's like, all righty. Yeah, because his, his kind of his thought on that is like, man, I just don't see you struggling with any kind of sin, and even sins you say you struggle with, like, that seems so minor and little bitty. Like, really? Like, what do you, what do you struggle with? And so, um, yeah, I, I sat there for a few minutes, and there's, you know, one word that came to the top, right? And so what all I'm trying to do here, guys, right, and this may make you feel very uncomfortable, and if it does, I hope you come back, but I'm just trying to show, like, um, yeah, how to apply what I'm talking about and how I did that in my own life through the work of this sermon. And so the one word that came to my mind was envy. And even saying that now... <laughs> And saying it to this guy, um, it feels a little petty and trite. Envy? It feels a little um, JV Christianity, right? But it is. In my season of life right now, um, yeah, man, envy is what I struggle with a lot. I mean, think about it, guys. When you're in your 20s and 30s, you know, you, if you're in your 20s and 30s, it's a great time of life. Not that the 40s and 50s and 60s are horrible, but the 20s and 30s, it is. It's like you're, you're just kind of getting out there. you got all these dreams, desires, plans, things you want to do. And, man, you, and you feel like, man, you got your whole life. Like you've got forever, right, to do all these. And then you get in your 40s, right? And you get in your 50s. And you get in your 60s. You're over half your life is done. And now you've got limits that you didn't have when you're in your 20s and 30s. Like family puts limits. Having a spouse and children put limits on your life. You've got to make a living, right? You've got to put food on the table when it's just you and your wife or just you alone. Ramen noodles is awesome, right? Right? 
You have no idea what the Lord may give you as far as children. Sometimes those put limits on you. You may have an aging parent that you've got to take care of when you're in your 40s and 50s and 60s. That puts limits on you. And so what begins to happen, or I'm just saying for me, what begins to happen is that you begin to see other people that are younger than you who are getting these opportunities to do things that you desire to do and want to do, but you're not getting asked to do. And you know, as a Christian, you should rejoice with those who rejoice. Instead, you're envious. And I don't know about you, but envy does not cultivate freedom. It doesn't cultivate joy. And it doesn't help relationships, does it? We were at a lead pastor's retreat a few weeks ago. We do these a couple times a year uh, where all the four lead pastors get together and, and, and do a retreat off-site. Just, we went to Michigan, beautiful place, had a great time. And, and there's not like this, sometimes when you hear that, it's going, oh, I bet they're getting together and doing a lot of planning. No, there's not a huge agenda. The big agenda is to care for one another. That's really the big agenda, usually the one in August. And so part of that looks like where we just kind of go around and share our lives, like what's going on, what are you struggling with, what are you thankful for, what do you need prayer about. And so, um, yeah, I just decided to go for it, and I talked about this. Jonah's the lead pastor out at New Albany. And Jonah just recently, like a month ago, uh, had an opportunity where he spoke to a bunch of young church planters and kind of cast some vision of what it looks like to be a healthy church planter. And I remember hearing about that in my initial response. Well, I'm a, I'm, I'm a paradox. We all are. Like, it's not one, it's both the same. So initially, like, oh, yeah, awesome. Jonah's getting to do this. Man, there's not a better person that should be doing this. It'd be Jonah. Man, God, that's so exciting. And then why did I not get asked, right? What's so special about Jonah? I've got something to say to a bunch of young church planners, right? Other than don't go do this, but there's other things, right? Like, like, I got something to say, right? Jamal, who's our lead pastor out of the Midtown congregation, we got a Sojourn Network com- conference coming up in a couple weeks, and uh, he gets to be one of the keynote speakers. So when I heard that, like the theme of it is ministry at last, I'm going, yeah. If there's anybody that can speak on this subject, it would be Jamal. I mean, especially after what he's gone through there at Midtown for the last two, two and a half years. Man, he has got something to say. And then at the same time, like I'm sharing this with them, right? Right face to face at the same time. Like I've been at this for 27 years. I got something to say about ministry that lasts. Why am I not being invited? Why are they not asking me what's going on here? You Do you see, like, this is all going on in my interior world. When I was in my 20s and 30s, it didn't bother me at all. I've got all the time in the world. I'll eventually get to that. You're almost approaching 50. Guess what? Probably not going to happen, Lyle. So envy. Then that leads to bitterness. That leads to all kinds of jacked up stuff, does it not? And in essence here, guys, and I'm not making things overly simplistic here, but this is what Paul is saying to Peter. What am I doing? I'm forgetting the gospel. Like the gospel is not just like the, the front door to the house. It's the house. Right? We don't ever move beyond this. There's not deeper teaching that we're going after. No, we keep coming back to this truth. It's not the diving board that gets you in the pool. 
The gospel is the pool. And so it's, it's a coming back to the truth of the gospel, reminding me that I am a child of God, that I am significant in his eyes, that I do have worth. And whether I do anything amazing, humanly speaking, on this earth for God does not matter because Jesus did it all for me. And I am loved fully no matter how well I perform or how poorly I perform. And it's that truth that I've got to come back to on a consistent basis, not to necessarily say that envy is done away with for life. I mean, maybe. I'm praying for that. I'm, I'm bringing that before the Lord. Maybe he will totally take that away from me, but he may not. But my prayer is that maybe it's less and less of an influence and a trigger in my life to where maybe it doesn't jack up a whole day, it just jacks up an hour, right? You follow me? Look, the gospel is the means by which we are free, we live in joy, and we leave, live in relational community and unity. And so when envy comes in, all of that is done away with. And the only way to deal with that is not go pull up your bootstraps, come on, fight envy. No, it's to come to the Lord because the gospel gives me the power to live with honesty and say, hey, God, I am envious. And then I want to treat myself in the manner and way that God treats me. You follow me? Because what I have a tendency to do is just beat myself. Oh, come on, be a better Christian. You're 48 years old. Come on. Quit being such a loser, right? That's not what God the Father says to me. And so I'm going to treat myself in the manner and the way that he treats me. And by God's grace, I want to live in this world and rejoice when other people are rejoicing. Rejoice when a 30-year-old gets to do something that I'd like to do. Rejoice in that. Be a great encourager. That's what I want to live into. So let me ask you, let me ask you, if you're a Christian here, what's it for you? What does the Holy Spirit bring into your mind right now that's saying that behavior is not in line with the truth of the gospel? You're kind of getting out of step. Yeah, you're his kid. Yeah, you're his child. You're loved fully and completely. You don't, you don't have to earn that. But this manner of living, maybe it's apathy. Some of you are apathetic toward your neighbors who don't know Jesus. Some of you are apathetic in your own marriage. And you live in separate rooms or you don't even try to engage with one another. And you're going, oh, I don't know what you're doing. That's kind of what you're saying, basically. Look, that's not in line with the gospel. That doesn't create flourishment in your home. It doesn't create flourishment in your life. God has created your marriage to do more and be more than that. So what is it for you? Ask God to help you see and not only see, but look, listen with humility. The gospel frees you to listen with humility, even if a 30-year-old comes up to you and says, this is what I see, and you're in your 60s. That takes humility to hear that. But maybe, maybe that's the Paul that God is sending to your life to show you 
a behavior, something in your life that's not in line with the gospel. So what is it? Ask God to help you see and listen with humility. If you're not a Christian here, look, my my encouragement, my, um, my word for you is that it is only through Jesus that you can truly be set free. Anything else will lead you into slavery. It is only through Jesus that you can live in a way that humanity was created to live in joy, in freedom, and in flourishment. So every week, we always have leaders that are in the back that would love to talk to you more about what it means to be a Christian, to help answer questions. Maybe that's too much of a leap for you, right? I I get that. Well, my encouragement for you is to keep coming. Keep coming. Keep asking questions. Don't stop searching. Keep coming. Keep asking questions. And hear me. It is only in and through Jesus that you can be free. Let's pray together.